Keep in touch with the Wolf Connection podcast on our Instagram handle at the Wolf Connection Pod or email us your questions, comments, and guest ideas to podcast at wolfconnection.org. Thank you for your support and howls to you all. Welcome to the Wolf Connection podcast. I'm your host, John Calvin. So with the Colorado reintroduction fast approaching, and uh, those of you that are listening to this, this will be about week old news, but there was uh, the judge halted the lawsuit that was brought uh, to stop the reintroduction or at least halt it for a moment. And so the Colorado reintroduction is back on. And so this goes into our guest that's on the podcast today and a lot of the work that he's been doing really in the past three to four months that really is something that is, I think, looking in the future, the states that border Colorado, where we're going to see maybe some conflict and some issues that happen uh, in Wyoming and some of these other states when these wolves eventually get reintroduced on the Western Slope. So he's a reporter for Wildfile since uh, 2021. He's been environmental and federal reporter for Jackson Hole News and, uh, News and Guide. Uh, and right now he comes to us from Pinedale, Wyoming. He is Mike Koshmerl. Uh Mike, how are you? How's everything going? And you know, thanks for joining me today. Yeah, great to be here. It's a beautiful sunny day in Northwest Wyoming and uh, looking forward to our conversation. Yeah, definitely. And I, I just want to get just a, a little bit of a background for you. It really seems that you've, uh, have you been a, wanted to get into news or reporting your, your entire life? It really seems that you've, you've found a home, especially doing a lot of this type of journalism for the environment, for nature, for policy. Was that something that was that was driving you early on or did this something you kind of fell into, uh, whether it was in school or, or afterwards? Um, I had a interest in, uh, kind of environmental issues and, and outdoors and I was, you know, a outdoor lover from a young age, but, uh, I was somewhat older. I was like a sophomore in college when I first even just had like an inkling to go into journalism and, uh, actually, what did it is I was an environmental studies major at a little uh, liberal arts school in Minnesota. And uh, it, for an environmental history class, I was assigned a book uh, called A Beast in the Garden. And it had been written by a guy who was on a fellowship at the Center for Environmental Journalism in Boulder, Colorado. And I like just read that in the jacket of the book and loved the book and was like, man, like, environmental journalism it was like literally one of those kind of aha things you know and then and then ended up going to the center for environmental journalism in boulder uh to get uh, earn my master's degree uh so uh yeah that was kind of my path to where i am today in a nutshell and you yeah and you grew up in minnesota you were telling me prior to before we started was that was your dream always to move move out west and be more in the wild places? It seems the more we we talk on this podcast, there are a lot of people who relocate from the East Coast or the Midwest, and they just want to sort of move out here to all the beautiful things. Was that something that drove you here as well? Uh, it, in spite of uh, in spite of where you grew up, um, I you know I really loved growing up in Minnesota, and uh, like I spent a lot of time in the Northwoods, and I grew up in the in the Twin Cities uh, area. But spent a lot of time in the Northwoods and uh, Boundary Waters Canoe Area Wilderness. Uh, I have like a third generation, like family hunting shack up in Wolf Country, actually in northern Minnesota. And uh, so very much like thought of myself as a Minnesota boy. 
when I was 22 and like deciding, uh, decided that I wanted to go to grad school, uh, there were two environmental journalism programs I looked at. One was Michigan State University and then uh, the University of Colorado in Boulder. And I'll be honest, I just wanted to go to Colorado really bad at that age. Um, I think it was probably partially from reading that book and just the mystique of the West, it's a big wild country. Um, and uh, so even, you know, I was living out West for quite a few years before I think I came to terms that I was no longer a Minnesotan. <laughs> Um, but, um, yeah, so, yeah, that, that drive West didn't materialize till I was a little bit later. Uh, but now I certainly think of myself as someone who's in the West and, uh, and probably will be here the rest of my life. Yeah. It seems like you've acclimated just because again, reading or going through the, the list of articles that you've written and the, the type of research and reporting that you do. It really seems that you've found your niche uh, very, very much so out here and dealing with a lot of these environmental issues and, and bringing those things to the forefront, which I think is very uh, noble. Um, I, you know, we were talking about Ryan Devereaux, who works at The Intercept and had similar wolf reporting. And we'll get into the articles we're going to talk about because they are very much, uh, I think, um, required reading for anybody who's looking at the Colorado reintroduction the border state of Wyoming there and some of the instances and the conflicts that have already happened prior to reintroduction happening on the Western slope. Mm -hmm. What is it about, before we get into these articles, what is it about just working on environmental issues that I, I don't know what, 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 what's the drive for you? Was it always something again, like you said, wild places, you love those back in Minnesota with the Northwoods. And we've had a couple of people on who grew up in Minnesota and moved out West as well, who spoke about that place. But what is it specifically for you as a reporter to bring these types of stories to the forefront so that people can get the right information and to get a lengthy article so that they can understand the depths of a lot of the policy and a lot of the work that's going on maybe behind the scenes. Yeah, you know, I've always had the fortune for most of my journalism career of writing about landscapes that I and resources and wildlife populations that are like all surrounding me and that like, you know, are a big part of my life. And so um, I certainly uh, develop like a love, like a love of land and a love of place. And, um, you know, the, and the, the longer, I think, you know, your career spans where you're writing about these resources, you feel kind of like more obligated to them and to enlighten people about them. Um, uh, that's certainly a big part of it. Uh, you know, I also, uh, am of the mind that, uh, I write a lot about wildlife and, uh, you know, there are advocacy groups uh, representing wildlife interests, you know, whether it's because they want to hunt the species or, uh, more or like preservation oriented. Um, but like the, oftentimes that's just, it's just like the big iconic wildlife that has, uh, the advocacy groups working on their behalf. And uh, I think a lot of wildlife is not 
represented and like voiceless kind of as decisions are made that uh, decide their fate. And so I take a lot of, um, I guess, like pride in like uh, providing a voice through my writing for species and places uh, that like don't have a voice in the fight as you know, we humans decide what to do with their habitat uh, or directly to them. Um, so that's certainly uh, part of what keeps the fire under me. Yeah, I I see that a lot with even with photographers, reporters, anybody who's in the environmental space or somebody who's even working for an environmental, like you said, a conservation agency that you're trying to elevate the plights of a lot of these animals. And we can talk about the major fauna that I think at the majority of the headlines when we talk about bears and wolves elk, anything that I think people visually see as this large megafauna on the landscape. But you're right when you talk about even, you know, sage grouse or birds that, you know, people maybe don't see or insects or, or fish that, you know, going through these rivers, a lot of those animals probably get brushed under the rug to a degree. Yeah. And for individuals such as yourselves to be able to bring those stories out so that people can see them, it's obviously helpful and it, and it helps the, the plight, I think, of all species that are here if you give them a voice like you say through your writing yeah i think yeah i agree yeah yeah i mean so we're so we're going to get into these to these articles and and like i was saying in the beginning for everybody who's listening with the reintroduction happening essentially any time past this point the federal 10j rule was uh i think enacted so they will start uh looking to trap and relocate those wolves from eastern part of Oregon and putting them into the designated zones on the western slope of Colorado. And a lot of what Mike has, or two of these major articles that Mike has written about, is really about when those wolves cross over to the boundary, uh, the state line from Colorado to Wyoming. And so the, the first article I, I want to go in with you is, is the first one that you wrote, or one of the first ones that you wrote here back in September and I'll just read the, the headline was Wyoming is killing Colorado's wolves again and the state's keeping it secret. So just tell everybody, because I really was intrigued about seeing that this was actually a story that happened, I believe, or no, that's the, the next one, but that, th that there's a law or a statute where they have to keep the identities of whoever killed these wolves secret. There's something, is that a state law? And just sort of give everybody, I guess, a background of the story in general and what this was about, because I think it ties into your your second article too that we're going to yeah. catch on to, right? Yep. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll back up a bit. And uh, uh, sure. Uh, so well, I got to Northwest Wyoming uh, to work at the Jackson Hole News and Guide in 2012. Uh, it, that happened to be the year that Wyoming gained jurisdiction over wolves. And so it was the first year there was a wolf hunt. Uh, I think there had there had been like a very momentary uh, period of jurisdiction for the state uh, in 2011 before I got there, but then it was it was like reversed by the courts. Um, and so so Wyoming 2012 all of a sudden wolf hunting for the first time. So I'm like a young reporter at that time, and I'm covering the what's essentially the first wolf hunt uh you know and since wolves were extirpated um 
the population, you know, had grown back from Yellowstone, uh, had saturated a lot of the greater Yellowstone ecosystem. And so one thing that I uh, just was very interested in as a journalist, uh, 26, 27 year old uh, reporter back then uh, was uh, this concept of the predator zone and how Wyoming managed wolves, um, which is they like protect them and have goals uh, to maintain them on the landscape in Northwest Wyoming. Uh, those, the, the numbers are largely determined by like the, what the feds require them to have. But then in everywhere else in the state, there were just no rules at all. Um, and, and interestingly, like I reporting from Jackson, uh, the line, uh, went, so like where they were considered trophy game and predator, predatory animals, uh, the line like ran right through Jackson hole, uh, the highway called highway 22, um, is like, uh, seasonally like the boundary of the predator zone. So like one side, you could shoot a wolf on site without a license on the other side, uh, you know, you needed to be in a in a defined hunting season, yada yada. So, so I've been like wa watching the predator zone and that and like kind of what it had done. Um, it, basically, it was effective for Wyoming for a long time. Uh, in in the sense that uh, Wyoming didn't want wolves like outside of the northwest corner, and wolves weren't able to uh, establish uh, in those areas. You know, if a pack got outside, they get uh, hunted out of existence or they get into conflict with uh, livestock and then get like taken out by wildlife services or uh, the state. Um, uh, the So the statute comes into play uh, because so Idaho and Montana, they got jurisdiction over their wolves a year before Wyoming uh, and neither Idaho nor Montana has that predator zone concept. So they wolves are managed uh, a little more strictly statewide in those states, uh, or they were at the time. Um, uh, in Idaho, the first person who killed a wolf, I believe, uh, was like harassed. Um, uh, I think, I don't know if it was online, I don't know the nature of the harassment, but that that individual was subject to harassment from people that like wolves. And so the state of Wyoming, the Wyoming legislature, um, uh, when, when we were preparing to have jurisdiction over our own wolves and have wolf hunts, uh, they wanted to kind of get ahead of that and, and prevent that from happening. They didn't want, they didn't want wolf hunters in Wyoming, you know, being harassed, uh, which was plausible because it had just happened in Idaho. And so they passed this statute that, you know, for like, if someone shoots an elk in Wyoming, I think you put in a records request and, you know, you can come up with the name of people that like harvested an elk and like whatever area 97 hypothetically. Right. Yeah. And so they didn't want the same thing to be true for wolves. So they passed the statute and this, the statute is really, it's really short. Uh, it basically uh, just, just says the department shall not release information, you know, leading to the identity uh, of someone who legally, legally being an important word, harvests a wolf, a wolf. Um, and for a long time, as a reporter, that statute was kind of a pain in the ass. I actually wrote some stories about it like years and years ago, because, like, say, uh, when uh, it, when the federal government had jurisdiction over wolves, 
Uh, over the last 10 years, there was a period where wolves went back onto the Endangered Species uh, Act uh, list in Wyoming. And so then the feds were back in control. The statute didn't apply. And I kind of got like used to being able to get information about like, say like a wolf pack uh, starts to kill cattle. And then the feds went in and took out some wolves. Uh, I, I could write about that. But once game and fish regained jurisdiction, uh, they would they would not be they would not verify that. They wouldn't even say like, yeah, we took out two wolves from uh, the Dell Creek pack. Uh, and they would say we we can't verify that because it would be a violation of the statute. Um, and so they would only provide like regional information. Uh, like they would, they could tell me like, uh, you know, four wolves have been killed in like the Jackson region, like administrative region of the Wyoming Game and Fish Department so far this year. So they would always kind of get like pretty obscure to, uh, to basically uh, protect the identity of people that killed wolves, which included like employees of the state. Um, right. And so now, so fast forward to the present and wolves are arriving they've made it through the predator zone and there are there've been a couple packs that have established in Colorado and right. you know you have 5 6 million people in Colorado that are keeping an eye on those wolves that are interested cuz they're historical wolves you know the first wolves since the 1940s that are living down there essentially uh first couple packs and those wolves kept coming north into Wyoming, getting killed in the predator zone. And there was a bunch of press in 2022 uh, over what was happening with the North Park Pack. That's the pack near Walden. And I, you know, I was kind of an observer. I wasn't writing about that a whole lot. Colorado media was all over it. Um, this year, right. earlier this year, I inquired, I inquired and just said, have there been more wolves killed in Southern southern wyoming and i was told that i was told that the department of game and fish can't say and i was like well what do you mean you can't say and so they uh my understanding is basically the attorney general in wyoming reinterpreted after there was like a lot of publicity and a lot of blowback uh over these wool colorado wolves getting killed in wyoming the attorney general just like reinterpreted the statute and broadened how it is applied to such a degree that state will no longer get any more specific than saying like the aggregate number of wolves that have been killed in the entire predator zone, which is 85% of the state of Wyoming. So like that's, that's what 53 million. Acres. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's that's yeah. an incredible amount of land and, and to be able to say that. Yeah. And so, I mean, their argument is essentially that like, you know, if we say two wolves have been killed in the Southern half of Wyoming, that that would like somehow point the finger at the guy who killed a wolf near the border or something like that. Uh, you know, pretty, wow. pretty far-fetched that you could take that number and lead to the identity of someone who, but that's how the statute is being interpreted. And, and as a journalist, I thought that that was, I, part of the why I thought it was a really good story is because my understanding is that the state of Wyoming, and I confirmed this through my reporting, had even stopped communicating with the state of Colorado. And so when one of these North Park Pack wolves was coming north and getting killed, uh, the Wyoming Game and Fish Department would not even tell the Colorado Parks and Wildlife folks that it was happening. 
uh, which just struck me as a pretty wild situation. And that's why I jumped that story. No, 100% you should. I mean, what's the... Is there any legal ramification or any sort of legal precedent, whether you know this or not? Because I, I would imagine state agencies should be able to or, or should report to one another if there are what is the wildlife crossing. I mean, I'm sure that that's, you know, obviously it's not their jurisdiction, but if there are certain wolves, like you said, these are the first wolves in Colorado since the 1940s, th- this is sort of a big deal. And obviously I understand the blowback, like you were saying earlier, that Wyoming received for the the initial wolf hunts that started about a decade or so ago but how is it okay for there not to be communication between agencies about the fact that wolves that were that had migrated to Colorado and then come back? Is it just sort of they they can because they're in Wyoming and because they were shot there that there's no communication that has to happen because it it obviously happened within their state line? What did you were you able to find out anything about that? Yeah, I mean, I think you know when a when a wolf is in Wyoming in terms of jurisdiction, it's a wolf that is, the state of Wyoming you know has essentially ownership over that wolf, right. just the same. Okay. Well, I suppose in Colorado, you know, protected by the Endangered Species Act, so in a sense, it's uh, the federal government that you know has jurisdiction over that. But um, yeah, I, I you know I think that this they the states were just taking looking at it like strictly from a legal standpoint uh i think functionally like having good relations with your neighboring states um is ideal <laughs> and i'm sure that uh i'm sure that you know there were people within the two respective wildlife agencies who were probably annoyed and aggravated by that situation uh i'm i uh, you know, I I don't think it was like the Wyoming wolf biologist was wanting to do that. I think that the, the you know these were uh, these were decisions that were made much higher than like the bio, the scientists and the managers uh, and 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 you know clearly in my opinion they're political decision like politically influenced. Um, I don't think it's a coincidence that the state of Wyoming reinterpreted the statute in the aftermath of there being a spate of publicity about the predator zone in Wyoming and what that was doing to Colorado's wolves. Uh, You know, there was a change uh, in how the step, the statute was being interpreted. Uh, So, yeah, I mean, yeah, for you to say that for him to interpret, it was interpreted the one way. Yeah. And then you have, like you said, the commissioner broadening this statute to where, like you say, over 53 million acres of land and 85% of the state, it's we can just sort of give you a, a number and that's really all we can say or barely even a number about that. And, you know, from reading this this first article, and by the way, those of you that are listening to to Mike and I, will, I'm going to have links to his articles in the description. So if you haven't read them yet, please go ahead and do so once, you know, once we wrap up and you guys see the description. But it, it seems that all of those, many of the individuals that live across that border, whether they're any, you know, residents, uh, ranchers, whoever, they understand that these practices are happening and that these wolves, you know, they, it, it's a similar situation, I'm sure, that you see where there are individuals that wait 
for the wolves in Yellowstone that they cross the border outside of the park. They're in now in a, in a zone where they can be shot and killed and they just sort of wait until they're outside the park boundary. Is, is there a, I guess, I guess what I'm trying to get at is what's the, what's the collective state of Wyoming, I guess, in these areas, especially these border areas, if you know, that how do they how do they feel about predators you know not just wolves but there's obviously lions and bears and all of that is it is it an anti i know there's a predator zone so clearly it's fair game for these animals to be shot and killed but what's the feeling surrounding the majority of communities are they on board with this are they okay with shooting these iconic species or is it just sort of everyday life what's what's the basic feeling around these animals in that part of the state. Yeah. I, you know, it's, I think it's a mixed bag of reception to that. Uh, I spent a lot of my, most of my time living in Wyoming and Teton County and Jackson hole. Uh, you know, there you have uh, certainly camps that are vocally opposed to, um, uh, you know, that type of uh, targeting of, predator species uh i think broadly in wyoming um it's a tough question i mean i i guarantee every single community in the state of wyoming probably has people that disagree that you know wolves and coyotes and other species should be treated as vermin and there you know should be no rule right yeah i'm I'm sure there are those people but but certainly uh there are you know the uh, livestock uh, industry remains uh, present and influential around the state of Wyoming and having uh if if you raise sheep or you raise wool or you raise cattle uh having wolves in the landscape can be really hard and um and oftentimes in a lot of the state you know where wolves are still extirpated uh you know for ranchers fourth generation it was that ranchers a great grandfather who helped remove wolves from there in the first place to make living there easier for them and the way that they make a livelihood. And so I think that, uh, you know, those sentiments have like carried over in the generate through the generations. And, and there are, there's just generally are some pretty strong anti-predator sentiments in most parts of Wyoming, almost all of Wyoming. There are, county predator boards so like there's government funding essentially going toward helping reduce predator populations uh there are some exceptions like teton county doesn't have a predator board but almost everywhere else in the state does um yeah so and you know there's still mountain lions mountain lions have pervaded the state by and large Grizzlies and black bear or grizzlies and wolves are still really kind of like maintained in the northwest corner of the state. And even like black bears have not. Uh, I, I, I did some reporting in northeast Wyoming a few weeks ago and I was in like the Black Hills area. And I was I, I, I did not realize that black bears are still uh, effectively n- not present, uh, that, you know, they were wiped out early in the 20th century and to this day there like hasn't been like a you know they'll get occasionally get black bears that come in there um but there isn't like really a viable breeding population which was news to me so 
yeah, I, um, there's, that'd be my best attempt at answering that. I also hate, to, yeah. I hate to like paint communities and people with broad brush, you know? No, hundred yeah. percent. Yeah. And that's why, yeah, I just, I want to see if there's like an over, you know, and, you know, like I, and we've, we've had these discussions on this, uh, on the podcast all the time and it's, and it's not, a, and it's not to indict or to insight that every community feels the same way because trust me, there are individuals here in California that feel one way or the other, same deal towards predators, yeah. towards wolves, towards bears, mountain lions. They, and I think every state has that. I think just looking at the the reporting and the articles and I'm, I'm at the part, um, we're still talking about that, uh, that first article where it looks like just those bordering states, New Mexico, Wyoming, Utah, Utah, New Mexico seem to have, and this, I'm talking about Colorado, but it curtails into Wyoming, is that Utah and New Mexico seem to have sort of this agreement where if these wolves happen to move into, unfri- I, I want to say unfriendly zones or a place where the state agencies would essentially recapture, I guess, the, the wolves that would get reintroduced into Colorado and bring them back into those states, mm-hmm. where it seems as though Wyoming is unwilling or will not do that as if, you know, they, they cross the border and essentially they're fair game in that predator zone because that butts up right up against that part of Colorado. It's just interesting that this, that the state, and I know when they were looking for wolves, uh, Wyoming, Idaho, Montana were not uh, willing to help or uh, capture any of the wolves that were in their states and relocate them to uh, Colorado for that instance. Mm -hmm. So I just wonder where the, and why I guess the prevailing thought is that they are fair game and they're not trying to, like, like you say, be neighborly and help out the state that they're yeah. trying to perform this reintroduction. I mean, I don't know if you have any thoughts into that or, or what, what you found out when you were doing this first article because the, it obviously leads into the second one. Yeah. Um, I I mean, I, again, I, I, I really think that's like a political, like influenced by politics, that decision for yeah. Wyoming to not provide... Yeah uh wolves for reintroduction um yeah i mean like people in southern wyoming don't want to have to deal with wolves by and large you know there's, I'm, yeah. sh- I'm sure there are people in, in in all the communities in southern wyoming that are welcoming but by and large i think you know people that are in positions of power don't want wolves and so you know that's the, that's the implication of of reintroducing wolves is eventually the West Slope of Colorado will be full of wolves. I mean, like they're going to thrive. I think, I don't, I think there's very little doubt in that. And once the state, you know, fills out, they're going to be, you know, pushing into Southern Wyoming and like, uh, I'm sure there'll be more depredation with livestock and the ranchers that are in those areas, they don't have to deal with that. And so, you know, they're, Probably it's a small state here in Wyoming. Probably some of those guys just called up the governor and said, "We don't want you guys giving wolves to Colorado." And uh, yeah, so that that's how it shook out. And it didn't surprise me that Idaho and Montana also declined to provide wolves for that effort. Um, yeah, just yeah. It, I mean, kind of similar political dynamics yeah. in those states, also. No, it it seems that way. Could you have a great? There's a great quote in here that you have uh, when we were ta- just what we're talking about. Wyoming declined to provide wolves to its southern neighbors. Governor Mark Gordon explained the decision in a statement stating Wyoming is opposed 
to Colorado's wolf reintroduction and, quote, has the scars and lessons learned from its own wolf reintroduction to Yellowstone National Park nearly three decades ago. Quote, Wyoming, Wyomingites, sorry that I said Wyoming Inns, Wyomingites, for all those who are listening to Wyoming, uh, know all too well the challenges associated with introduction with introducing, sorry, a, a new large carnivore into an existing ecosystem. It does not matter that the wolves may have been part of the system in generations past. It is still a huge change. So it really seems like that's the, a lot of what this is seems to be that angle where it's, we knew they were here first. They were, they were here. We extirpated them. We've gotten along without them. So we want to keep it that way as opposed to rewilding in a sense and keeping, you know, keeping things sort of natural the way they should have been. I remember being quite shocked by that, by that statement from the governor's office, to be honest, Um, just because, you know, I know Wyoming was opposed to wolf reintroduction, but it's like 30 years has gone by just about, and I don't know, I'm surprised that in the highest levels of government, there's still that rhetoric you know, of like regret that uh, we brought back the species. Uh, yeah, uh, uh, just being honest, that really surprised me to see. So that's probably why I put it in the story. No, it's it's good that you did that. I mean, it's. Do you ever feel when when you've done these two, and we'll get to the to the next story too in just a minute? Is it really? And what it seems, and again, outsider California, I don't, I don't live in these states. I have visited a few of them, and they're beautiful, and the, and the wildlife is incredible, and and the people that that we've met are 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 nice. It's just it seems as though the rhetoric doesn't hold with the animal itself. It really seems like it's people versus people in terms of there were certain levels. The federal government pushed wolves. We're talking about 1995 now. Yeah, the federal government pushed the reintroduction. It impacted many people, many states. And I think, is is there still that, like you said, that scar or that, uh, what did you say, uh, scars and lessons learned? Do you think that's where those scars really come from as opposed to really dealing with the animal itself? It's more about the people who were in charge that made those decisions. Did you ever get that sense of when we were doing your interviews or, or doing your research? Yeah. Uh, I mean, just from covering wolf issues in Wyoming for a long time, I'd say it's more a people and a political positioning thing. Uh, wolves, uh, you know, I could look up the depredation numbers right now, but I, I it's like often in the double or triple digits, uh, low triple digits, you know, right. uh, to- total depredations documented. And they're almost all in the northwest corner because that's where the wolves are. Um, and you know, pretty isolated for the most part. It's not like it's not like wolf country in northwest Wyoming is just like saturated with depredation. Um, like there'll be like an operation here or an operation there where they're having issues. I think especially since Wyoming has hunted wolves, I I, I recall distinctly when. Wolves went back on the Endangered Species Act list uh, in the state in like, I'm not 100% sure in my years, but like 2015, 16. And there there was no wolf hunting around that time. Wolf numbers increased quite a lot. And there was a lot more conflict. And and then subsequently a lot more wolves killed. I think it was like over 100 one of the years. Um, Yeah, it was like a huge 
portion of the total wolves in the state. Um, but in a typical year, it's not nearly that bad conflict wise. And I think that like the, you know, there's a ton of debate about the merits of the predator zone and whether that's a good way to treat wolves or any wildlife. Uh, but the way that Wyoming has managed wolves, I think, has like largely worked for the state. Um, I, I don't hear a lot of complaints about wolves from people anymore. Um, I guess that's part of why that like surprised me for the, to see that from the governor's office. Uh, you, you certainly see it in some circles. So like you'll hear it from some hunting outfitters here or there, but like, man, like I'm a big game hunter and I know a lot of people in Wyoming and it's just not something I hear a lot of complaining about is like wolf, wolf impacts on uh, ungulate populations uh, or, you know, wolf. It's not, I'm not super embedded in the livestock community, but I, I don't hear a ton of griping about the difficulty of living with wolves. I, although, you know, there are people that have to deal with it every year. So, so that's actually a good point that you bring up though, uh, Mike. So you, so in the, in the hunt, in the hunting circles, those that are hunting elk or, or deer or whatever big game, the, it, it seems as though there's, there's a little bit more of a coexistence level of understanding that there's still people are still able to hunt and fill their freezers and, and get the elk that they have normally gotten. And they're, and they're reasonably okay with that. And it's not as, uh, it's not as over the top as say that the ranching community is what you're saying to to a degree, at least in the circles that you are, are around. Like in the hunting community, I think the the most like uh, the, the the most kind of complaining about wolves that I hear is from like big game outfitters in a uh, you know like say like complaining to the Wyoming Game and Fish Commission, but like the like the rank and file big game hunter at least among the folks that I know that it's just not it's not a thing. I mean, it's like cool to see a wolf, like I. I've been out elk hunting and heard wolves howling and been out hiking and seen wolves and um, I appreciate them. And I, certainly if you put your time in and this, any, I mean, hunting elk in Wyoming is pretty easy uh, if your goal is just to get some meat in the freezer. In fact, you can hunt, you can kill three elk if you're a resident of Wyoming. Um, success rates are super high. Uh, elk are overpopulated statewide. Uh, and so, yeah, you know, in, in the Northwest corner, maybe there are like some reduced density in some area from having wolves and grizzlies on the landscape. I mean, it only makes sense. You got a bunch of big toothy carnivores eating elk and elk calves that there's going to probably be a, a few fewer elk uh, for sure. Uh, but yeah. Um, yeah, I, it's just it's a really fruitful place to be a big game hunter, and I, I think people I don't hear just people complaining about wool having wolves in the landscape very often. Um, again, in my circles for sure. Yeah, no, but that's a good. This is a good perspective that I, I think. I, again, when you talk to somebody like yourself that is in that circle, that is th like these are important conversations, obviously, for people to hear and to understand that there's, like you say, just just coming from what we what, what you had in your article, right from the from the highest from the governor's office 
down to the, like you say, the rank and file and how different that is in terms yeah. of dealing with predators or wolves specifically on the landscape. I think that's something that people need to hear. And, and it's, and it's good that you mentioned that. And I think it's good for people to understand that yeah. you can get your elk and that they, like you say, you're, they're overpopulated. And, and I, I appreciate that insight because those are the personal stories that I think people like to hear more. And I think if there's more of yeah. that coming up, it, it'll, it'll help. I, I want to just shift into that, into your second story, because it does kind of lead into this. And, and as we get closer to the reintroduction with these border killings, and, and I, get, I mean, both these stories basically, I, I think, go hand in hand. I mean, t- tell me if I'm wrong. You let me know, Mike. Yeah, no, they're very related. Super very related. related. But I mean, the, the, the other story that you have is, is border killings, how shooters lured historic Colorado wolves to their deaths in Wyoming. So it, I, I guess the, the first thing I would ask, because when I was reading it and I didn't realize that it doesn't seem like it was bait is they were using electronic calls, pronghorn calls. Is that was the thing? Is that, I, I guess, like you said, it's, it, it's essentially anything goes in these situations. So if they know that there's wolves in these near the border, they just need to get them across the line. And I know there was a part in that article that I'll try and get to and read when you're explaining it, that they were trying to understand if they had shot these wolves in Colorado, right? Or like if they were actually crossed the line, what was the, what was the major issue with, with this? Because this, I believe from your story, this, these depredations for these three wolves where it was in like 2019 or 2020, but this didn't, this didn't come out until like 2023 or 2022 or something like that. Right. Am I accurate in that? Uh, yeah. First I'll back up and kind of correct something. Um, so, um, the first incident, uh, in 2019, uh, uh, these guys, uh, who I, um, my editors decided to, we left them anonymous for this harassment, partially Mm -hmm. for the harassment reason. Um, and they wouldn't talk to us unless, uh, they were left anonymous or the guy that I interviewed, but he was not hunting for wolves. He was hunting for black bears in Southern uh, Wyoming, which, which I guess is something he had done for some time and was using call electronic calls, which is loud in Wyoming. And, and, uh, uh, it just so happened that, uh, well, I guess this wolf pack had moved into the area and, he successfully called a wolf in and he, and he, um, this person's son is a resident of Wyoming and knew the rules on wolf hunting in Wyoming. And so knew, you know, the predator zone knew that they were in the predator zone and, and then they decided to kill the wolf. Um, now after that happened, they did make a concerted effort to target wolves there for, uh, for the next year. And they killed two more. Right. Yeah, yeah. I saw that. Yeah, that it's because it, it, yeah, I saw that. It was a, you know, I think it was a, a father and a son. Was that, it's something I, but anyway, I, either yeah. way, it was, yeah, going back to these same, to these same spots. Um, I, I guess the overall, I mean, I guess the overarching thing that I, I'm looking at, and I think anybody who's listening to this is looking at, is that this, this is in reality, something that could happen regularly because if we're if Colorado's relocating wolves to 
to reintroduce from Oregon to Colorado. They happen to go north. These are things that could happen on the regular because of the different different rules, the different listings, obviously, in Wyoming and Colorado. Is this something that people, again, just in your research, uh, that you believe people should be aware of, knowing about, and keeping tabs on? Is this something that we could see again? I mean, if this is ha- if this happened years ago with the packs that just started to settle, and now you're starting to reintroduce all these packs on the Western Slope, I mean, could we see more of these types of situations where wolves? Well, I, I, for uh, one thing, on the keeping tabs front, yeah. uh, I don't think we're going to know because uh, how right because of the way Wyoming. <laughs> Yeah. Right. 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 So, so I think it will be an open question. Of course, you know, could I'm sure Colorado will learn at times because if if a GPS collared wolf comes north and is killed, I imagine that you know that GPS collar will, I I, I would imagine at least will end up somehow back with Colorado. But um, uh, you know, my understanding is Colorado is putting wolves in pretty central, like kind of like central western Colorado, quite a ways south. Uh, When those first packs are brought in, uh, you know, could it happen? Uh, Sure. But I think it's probably a little, uh, I think that the habitat where they put them will probably be pretty good wolf habitat and there'll probably be a lot of prey. And it's likely that they, you know, will stay, stick around. Now, as time goes on, and so I, I somewhat recently did a story uh, and looked back kind of on the Yellowstone reintroduction and, you know, what, what it was 66 wolves, I believe, in 95 and 96. It didn't, it was like five years and there was over a thousand wolves. Um, I mean, so they thrived early on, really thrived. And I, I'm just going to guess, like, you know, there's 250,000 elk in Colorado. They're going to thrive in Colorado, too. And so as the state of Colorado fills out with wolves, um, like the West Slope, especially the mountainous areas, uh, and there's hundreds of wolves, I mean, that's totally plausible. You know, if we're having this conversation five years, there could be 800 wolves, 1,000 wolves in Colorado. Mm-hmm. Um and, you know, will, will some leak north and get shot in southern Wyoming? It'll probably happen every single year. But biologically, will that matter for the wolf population at that time in Colorado? Probably not. Um, you know, even if 10 wolves get killed in southern Wyoming, it, you know, that came out of Colorado. But if there's hundreds and hundreds of wolves in Colorado, which I think is the future of Colorado, uh, just looking at like the well-being of the species and you know the population, I don't think it'll be that important. Uh, personally, um, you know, if you love wolves and don't like to see any wolves getting shot, then like that's a bummer. But um, yeah, that's kind of how I look at it. When you when you did these when you did these stories, I guess what's the thing that's that has stuck out? most for you that you learned or that just going along this path? Because I feel like you'll be writing more about this in the future as obviously, as the, like you said, the reintroduction takes place. Wolves will be coming across. You do a lot of these stories anyway. What's the thing that really struck, uh, stuck with you through both of these, through both of these stories? 
Yeah. Well, one thing for me as a journalist, so I am a, just an open advocate of the free flow of information. Yeah. Uh, it, that is the essence of my job. The core of my job is getting information out to the public. And both of these stories to me have like a big uh, kind of like government secrecy component. And I'll explain why. I mean, one the state of Wyoming's position that the statute, uh, you know, prohibits them from re releasing even the number of wolves killed in over tens of millions of acres. Like, please, like, you know, you're doing a disservice to the public to be that secretive. Uh, it's, if, if someone were to sue and, you know, make a claim uh, under Wyoming Public Records Act, you know, and wanted to put forth the, in, to invest and in, it'd be expensive. I, I'm sure I would imagine that the state of Wyoming, you could probably poke some legal holes in, in their position on that. Uh, with, with the border killing story, uh, quite frankly, I was like aggravated that the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service wrapped up this investigation in 2020 and they found that these guys did nothing illegal. And they informed them that he said, you know, you guys are in the clear. The guy that I interviewed said that. And, but the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service left the case open. So so journalists or the public couldn't see what had happened. And evidently, their reasoning for doing that, uh, I was told by an employee of the federal government or a former employee of the federal government, was that the Colorado wolf reintroduction referendum vote was coming up. And they didn't want it to like influence that vote. And so they just left the case open. And therefore, you know, if it's an open investigation, then you don't have to give it out. It's not considered a public file. Um, and, th and they left it open for years. They, so yeah, it was not until February 2023, over two and a half years after the investigation actually ended, that they closed the case. And that's why I was able to get it this year. And that's why I was able to tell the story and, you know, inform people about what happened to the first wolf pack in, in Colorado since the 1940s, which obviously there's public interest in that, you know, just like what, what happened to those wolves? Uh, it was, you know, a bunch of hearsay until we were able to get the documents and inform people. And so kind of just, yeah, from, from being a journalist and wanting to be able to, you know, say, provide like the reality of, of what happens in the world. Um, that was a huge uh, motivation for me uh, in both of these stories. It shows because this, and just everything that you're, you're saying here. And, and I, I appreciate your candor and the way you're talking about it. I mean, we, we need information to be able to make the best informed decisions at all to do anything in, in our lives. And I, especially in these, wildlife situations where we're talking about conservation and because of, and especially this species in particular, and we, we've said it, I think, over and over again, this is probably the most politicized species on earth. Well, you know, maybe you could, like I said, I think, I think I've said this a couple of times, you could go to Africa and maybe talk about elephants or something like that. But the wolf, for whatever reason, just brings everything up to a hundred, <laughs> you know, times, whatever yeah. it is. And it really just gets both sides of the debate fired up to a degree where nothing really happens. And I think this, you're reporting and showing that there is some level of cover up here and some level of not giving the information to the public when, right away or at least in a situation where 
you need to be able to make these informed decisions. You need to be able to have all of the of the cards in front of you to understand the impacts of all of this going forward. And for the state not to do that, it's just it's a disservice to the public and the, and the people that you serve as a government body or as anybody who's a public official in that way. And uh, it just it, it it kills me to see that because it, it all it does is fuel the fire on both sides and it doesn't really help us get anywhere. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean, I, I'm an advocate of, of transparency in government. And so, uh, yeah, a lot of what you just said just uh, strikes a nerve with me. Yeah. I mean, what's it for you going forward in your, you know, I would say even, even personally, what is, what, what is the reintroduction, if you want to divulge it what is it what does this mean for you because because you're like you say you're an advocate you're a reporter of the natural spaces and the public lands and all this how do you feel about really just the the incoming of of wolves into into your neighbor a neighboring state for you and the possibility like you said of hundreds of wolves in that state and and percolating throughout these other states maybe into utah down to mexico and up into wyoming what does that mean for you um, I mean, you know, I'll be watching it as a journalist and uh, it's I, it, I write for Wildfile and so we're focused on Wyoming issues. Um, right. But there are there are implications for Wyoming of Colorado's introduction. Uh, we, you know, we touched on it a little bit ago. There's likely to be more wolves in southern Wyoming and uh, more conflict in turn. Um, you know, I uh, personally, I, uh, I, 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 I I'm. I've long just been interested in rewilding, like as a principal and and watching populations of uh, midsize and large carnivores as they come back from how we, you know, more or less wiped them out a hundred years ago. And I think it's cool that um, I'll be honest. I think it's cool that a species that hasn't been there for you know about eighty years is about to be back on the landscape and people will be able to you know, go out for their hike and on the West Slope of Colorado and have the chance of seeing a wolf. I think that's, uh, and I think that, you know, I understand that some, some critters are hard to live with uh, and that some people are going to have to make sacrifices here and it's not all just like rainbows and butterflies. But um, I think uh, by and large, it's a good thing for us to try to uh, restore species that we exterminated and, uh, so yeah, I'm. I'm. I think it'll be cool to watch as wolves, you know, in the rest of my life, they're gonna pervade the Southern Rockies, and I'm sure push into New Mexico and Northern Arizona and Utah. Um, and uh, I mean, that's it's just so cool that in my lifetime, you know, when I was born, I was born in 1985. I'm 38 years old. There are only there are only like a few hundred wolves in the northwest corner. Uh, I'm sorry, northeast corner of the Arrowhead region of Minnesota, where I grew up. And uh, by the time I'm an old man, there's going to be wolves in every western state, uh, you know, in all through the Great Lakes. Um, and who knows? Maybe they'll expand beyond that. Um, it's uh, it's just kind of cool to to see uh, us undo, uh, you know, the kind of brutal history of settling the United States and wiping out everything that was inconvenient. Uh, and, uh, you know, in slow motion, we're watching it all happen. So I think that's super cool. 
I couldn't have said any better myself. Mike, what's the what's the best way for people to find your work, to follow you, to keep up to date with all the the articles, with all the research that you're doing in in your uh, wild files? What's the best way? Uh, easiest way would be just to go to our website, yofile.com. Um, uh, I often post uh, my stories to uh, formerly Twitter, now X. Uh, on there, I'm uh, Kaji, which is K-O-S-H-Y, and then the word writes. Uh, so that's one way you could keep track of, of my reporting. Um, but yeah, those are... Uh, that's where I'd encourage people to to go if they're interested in uh, our wolf coverage. Yeah, and we'll have all those links obviously in the description. Uh, my last question for you, Mike, is when you hear the word wolf, what's the thing that comes to your mind? Um, man, um, when I hear the word wolf, I would say uh, just from being a reporter who's in the middle of it and I get to hear people on both sides, just like passion, man. On both sides, uh, you know, you you got the wolf haters and the wolf lovers, and like, it's usually it's usually one of the two. Uh, and people have very strong feelings. You know, people that know wolves, uh, they either love them or they hate them. Um, and uh, yeah, so I'd say passion. I can't agree more. There's there's a lot of passion on both sides, but uh, I can appreciate obviously the the quick turnaround uh, for you to come on the podcast with with me and, and share your work and, and really give people an insight into what's going on in, in Wyoming and how it's going to affect uh, this reintroduction in Colorado and and obviously setting us up for the future. So thank you so much for for all the work you've done and and you're going to continue to do. So thank you so much, Mike. Yeah, of course. I'm, I'm happy that I came on. Yeah, absolutely. Just stick around for a minute uh, while I sign off. Uh, How's to you all out there? And we'll be with you next time. Bye, everybody. Looking for more information about Wolf Connection or the podcast? Please visit our website at wolfconnection.org where you can donate, sponsor a wolf, or become a volunteer.